Good morning, everyone. All right, so this is going to be a fun one. As you can see, we have a lot of text to go through today. And um, I, I know it's going to be a longer sermon than usual, so if at some point you need to stand up and do a seventh inning stretch or crack a candy bar because your blood sugar is getting low, I won't be offended because I really want you guys to hang in there till the end uh, because in theory, this is going to be a lot of fun. Today, I have the joyful task of taking you guys through one of the most debated sections in Ephesians. Many hate it and call it archaic. I personally call it timely truth because the Bible is for all times. As we get into the word today, I want you to let go of your preconceived notions, feminism, chauvinism, past hurts, your own family dynamics, and just listen to what Paul has to say to us with a clean perspective. Some of you may have never read this before or read it once and said, this is ridiculous. Or do as C.S. Lewis says, use chronological snobbery, which is long ago, they were very primitive. But luckily now we are very advanced and we know a lot more than they do. It worked for them, but I'm not sure if it works for us. So therefore, I will be the judge. I'm going to sit on the throne and decide what parts of the Bible apply to me. You think that in the age we live in, where information is doubling every year, that we would have a very thorough handle on what it takes to have an amazing marriage. Whole sections of bookstores are on marriage. We also have podcasts, magazines, talk television, seminars. And in Canada, 16% of children go to bed without a father. 42% of marriages end in divorce. This should be greatly disturbing for all of us. The institution that we call the family needs a drastic overhaul. We need to go back and look at this extremely practical text because there is a 100% success rate for couples who both obey God's word and are servants to one another. Because Jesus pours out grace on their lives and answers their prayers. You know, the research I did in preparation for this sermon kept telling me the number one reason for divorce is money. I'd submit to you the number one reason for divorce is selfishness. To any of you newly married, engaged, or dating couples, there will come a day when you, not them, but you, will become stubborn, prideful, and unrepentant. When you put your needs and wants before your beloved, selfishness destroys relationships. Before we actually get into this, because this is still my intro, please note the difference between principles and methods. The Bible has timeless principles, and I will share with you some practical methods. And you don't have to do everything the way my wife and I do, but I will share some funny stories to keep you engaged, because I know this section can be very offensive. Remember, I didn't write the mail, I'm just delivering it. So if you're ready, here we go. Verse 22. Here it comes, ladies. This is your favorite verse, your life verse. You have it on your mirror. You recite it three times a day, and some of you have it as a tattoo across your forearm in the original Greek, and it sings like a song. Here we go. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. No applause, no cheers, no amens. This is brutal, people. You know what it means? Wives should submit to their husbands. And I know that this is a difficult text to accept, so here are some things it doesn't mean. Women should not submit to men in general. A man, a man cannot go up to a random woman and tell her to make him a sandwich or a plate of nachos. 
He can't do it because men are not the head of women in general. A husband is the head of his wife and her alone. This also doesn't mean that women are inferior to men. We all know that men are superior to very little. Men and women are equal. We are both made in the image and likeness of God. And we both have different roles and responsibilities, left hand and right hand. Complementary. The biblical design for marriage is dual leadership, singular headship. I clearly see that this is God's design in the Bible from beginning to end. The world is governed by the sovereign God of the Bible. The husband is to lovingly, sacrificially lead his family. The wife is to respect and follow the leadership of her husband, and the children are to honor and obey their mother and father. And in saying that, I just quoted a long list of verses and you didn't even know it. But this is just what the Bible says. In marriage, a woman should yield to, submit to, follow the leadership of her husband. And most women do submit to their husband, but only when it's convenient. Meaning, I will yield to him, providing I agree, which is not the same thing at all. Verse 24, now as the church, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. Wives should submit in, what's the word? Everything. Kind of lackluster there, ladies. It says the same thing in Titus 2, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Peter 3. In everything, a wife cannot pick and choose what she will submit to and when she will choose to do so. If she is in sin, that is a completely different story. And most women will only struggle with this doctrine if they have a husband who is completely unrespectable. If the man isn't even trying to lead his family, if the man isn't pursuing a relationship with Jesus, if the man isn't faithful to his wife, if the man is just lazy, or for a myriad of other reasons that she finds him to be unworthy of her respect. So how is a woman supposed to submit to her to a husband who is failing in this role? I think the real question should be for both, in good, for both good and bad circumstances. And we all have work to do to be a better spouse. However, Peter does address this in 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So first, you have to learn how to respect your husband and convey that respect in a way he will accept it. And that will be different for every couple. So ladies, ask. What are the things that I say and do that show you that I respect you? What are the things I say and do that show you that I respect you? And what have I said or done that makes you feel disrespected or emasculated? Again, what have I said or done that makes you feel disrespected or emasculated? Second, ladies, you can nudge him with questions and encouragement to lead in the areas he is fully capable. Is he really good at balancing the budget? Great. Tell him. Go for it, babe. I trust you. If there's things we need to discuss, I'm here, but otherwise I trust you to do it very well. If you two haven't settled on a church to call home, encourage him to pick it. It is already so tough for a man to be passionate about going to church these days. Most churches are doing very well in the women's and kids' ministries. But what about the men? What about the preacher? Does your husband connect with or even respect the man behind the pulpit? 
If not, he is never going to be excited about going to church. So women ask, why don't you want to go to this particular church or that particular church? His answer might be, well, hun, we just did five weeks on lessons learned from the Wizard of Oz, and I'm not exactly too jazzed about the follow-up sermon, the Eternal Bride of Christ Everlasting Emotion. But wives, please know that nagging is never going to work. A man may want to change through conversations and encouragement, but consistent reminders, notes, emails, and day-in, day-out bombardment will only frustrate him and make him feel emasculated. Oh, don't forget, honey, Tuesday day is laundry day. Oh, good morning, tomorrow is laundry day. Honey, I'm so glad you're awake. I made you your favorite cup of coffee to go along with the laundry you're about to do today. He's going to end up feeling like a man-child, but never the man of the house. Nagging will cause him to be repelled and, further, and bring further separation both emotionally and physically. Third, ladies, you can respect your husband's position. Have you ever heard the term respect the uniform? This is a military term that means even if you loathe the individual, you still respect the rank they achieve and the duties they perform. So while there are several political leaders I would never want to invite into my home, I would still respect the position that they have. I would say yes sir, no sir, and stand when they enter the room. This means, ladies, you can always show respect for your husband without exhibiting contempt, using sarcasm, eye-rolling, backhanded comments, or undermining the very things he is trying to do well. Number four, you show the gospel to him through wordless sermons. Like it says in 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Do everything that you can to show how Jesus is working in your life with your actions. Your conduct between you and your husband is a direct reflection of your love for God. So ladies, go all out. Make an effort to wear clothes that he likes, as long as they're not inappropriate in public. And you can honor him also with your own personal grooming habits. Does he like when you wear lipstick or wear a baseball hat? It depends on your relationship, but some guys have very easy things that they would like for you to do. Plan special days where he can have a break from responsibilities and go hunting or play video games or just go hang out with his friends. Try to shop for groceries with his favorite meals in mind. But most importantly, with your words and actions, show him that you are on his team. Again, show him that you are on his team and you want your life together to be as amazing as possible. Lothelle and I say this often to each other when we get the feel, when we get burdened with the stress of life. We'll come to each other and say, you're on my team, right? And we're going to get through this. Remember the good about him and be willing to compliment him. Show appreciation for whatever is worthy of praise. And this goes a long way with a man. Many men work thankless jobs 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and your words will fuel him and keep him going. If you're not sure where to start, here's an easy one. Get him to open a jar for you, and then lay it on thick. You are so amazing, and handsome, and powerful. Men never want to admit it, but we are indeed fragile creatures, and your words can inspire him to go to that next level of maturity, fortitude, or godliness. Or you can absolutely cut his legs out from under him and destroy any forward momentum he's working towards. 
your husband may be massively failing in certain areas, but crushing it in others. He may be spending too much time reading comic books, but he does work hard to provide. He may not even know where his Bible is, but he does not lust after other women. When you're not there, you know he is being faithful to you, because you are his standard of beauty. On the flip side, if you find him to be unworthy of your respect because he is being unfaithful, you need to seek higher authority and bring this into the light now. Some serious conversations are in your future, and this includes biblical counseling, godly men to speak into his life, but never ignore it. Hope that he grows out of it, or think it's just a phase. Adultery is adultery, and it should be taken extremely seriously. Additionally, if your husband is abusing you, you need to get away from him. Do not stay in the home if you ever feel unsafe. You run, you call the police, then you call the church elders. This is not your fault. You are not to blame. And you are not alone. Finally on this, I'd say that you need to tell him if and when you are struggling to show him respect and why. Do you love him? Yeah. Did you swear before God for better or worse? Yeah. Then talk to your husband. Write your thoughts out in advance if it helps. This is also good to do so that you don't want rabbit trails, get overly emotional, or allow this to become a verbal attack. But calmly bring up why you are struggling and give examples of behavior that you find to be uh, appropriate and not appropriate. For example, I find it hard to respect you as a provider of our home when you refuse to get a full-time job. You're fully capable, but you just refuse. I'm becoming less attracted to you when you play more video games than our son does. I miss having you lead us in prayer before we eat or go on road trips. When you hold me tight and we're just sitting quietly together on the couch after the kids go to bed, I really feel close to you and I feel safe. Two weeks ago, I saw you reading the storybook Bible to our niece. I found that to be very sexy. So, to the young ladies here today, I hope you take these lessons heart today to your heart. Ah, I hope you take these lessons to heart too. When you are deciding on who you will choose to date and ultimately marry, it's for life. Rough patches come, and you're going to need a man who is up to the task. So let's get to the men. Verse 23. Oh, I hope you men are ready for this. For the husband is, not maybe, could be, might be, is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. We don't take a vote to see if Christ will be the head of this church. He just is. Jesus is in charge. And even if we did vote differently, it wouldn't matter because Jesus is still in charge. In the same way, the husband is the head of the home. He just is. Too many Christians, men and women alike, waste time debating whether or not the man should be the head of the home. The debate doesn't matter. The husband is still the head. So the question is, is he good at it or bad at it? Is he doing his utmost to be Christ-like or not? Is he sacrificially leading or not? Is he working hard for his family every day or not? And when you hear head, it does not mean boss. A husband doesn't get to give 
sorry, the husband doesn't get to order his wife around. He doesn't get to give his wife a job description. He's supposed to lead like Christ. A man should treat his wife as Jesus treats the church. In Christ's model, a man loves his wife. A man continually pursues a relationship with his wife. A man is faithful to his wife. This means that the man should act first. When there needs to be reconciliation or repentance, men, you go first. Honey, we need to talk. Men, you should be saying that more than the women, and it should be a stereotype that we all strive to create. That Christian men always want to talk, always communicating, always pursuing, always willing to repent. And when there needs to be work done, you go first. Kitchen's dirty? Clean it. Vehicle's busted? Get it repaired. More money needed? Get to work. And that's one of the jokes in my home, because my wife and I are always adding more to our plate, as it seems. And whether it's trying to fit more hours in the day by going to work more often, home maintenance, Bible study, three kids, laundry, my answer is always the same. I'll get up earlier. And sometimes I think that answer is going to give my father-in-law the heart attack. But rarely would I ever tell my wife to do that. We both have jobs, we both have tons of responsibilities, but when it comes to bonus work, I want that responsibility. I want that burden. I want to make her life easier, and I want to serve her. Men, when there's a marriage, marriage seminar coming up, you should be the ones to sign up first. And this also means that a man is responsible for the things that are not necessarily his fault. What I mean is this, when I sin, is it my fault or Jesus' fault? It's my fault that I sinned, but Jesus took responsibility for it and died for it. What it means for a man to be the head is that when there is sin or separation, when issues arise, he takes responsibility. He initiates. He comes to reconcile. He tries to remedy the situation. He can't say, you made the mess, you clean it up. You got yourself into this, you fix it. He can't do like Adam did in the garden, blame the woman, and walk away. A husband will stand up for his family. A husband pursues God and takes responsibility. And this is a great privilege for a man to emulate Jesus for his wife. Jesus died for me. I'm willing to die for you. Jesus took responsibility for my sin, and I'm going to take responsibility for what happened in our home. Jesus pursues me, and I'm always going to pursue you too. This is not denigrating to women. This is not chauvinism. This is a man emptying himself for the benefit of his wife. That is biblical headship. Women, and especially you young single ladies, hold your men to this standard because God does. Each and every one of you ladies are worthy of a man like this. You are God's daughters. Young and old alike, you deserve to be loved as you need to be loved, consistently pursued, cherished, and honored. From birth to your remaining last days, you deserve the very best from the men in your life. Verse 25, husbands love, 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 love your wife. And here's the thing, she likes it and it's effective 100% of the time. This is not just the emotional feeling but also the doing. 
The Bible says that God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for it. God's love compelled him to act. Your love for your wife must likewise compel you to action. You must love her, love her, love her, because that is what Jesus does for you. Dr. David Chapman has a book that discusses the five love languages that we all have. And you must, men must love your wife as she needs to be loved. And not generically, but specifically. Not with flowers and chocolate. She might hate that. Consider her and then ask about all five. Touch, gifts, words, time, and acts of and, sorry, words, time, and acts of service. Ecclesiastes says that life is all about seasons and times. So you need to ask every four to six months what her current love language is. Because they will change. Honey, how are you feeling? Horrible. I haven't been held all day. And a foot massage would be really good right about now. Okay, gentlemen, she's a touchy-feely girl. Now you know. Get some lotions. Get to work. Stop snuggling me. Help with the kids. Do dishes. Get the oil changed. Make me dinner tonight. Whoa, okay. Acts of service. She needs help, gentlemen. Actually, don't make me dinner. Buy me dinner. And flowers and a poofy dress. She needs gifts. She likes them, big and small alike. Where are you going? Don't leave. Be with me. We never get any time together. I want couple time, alone time, us time. I never get to see you, for example. She's not clingy. Her love language is quality time. Do you think I'm pretty? What's your favorite memory of me? You like my hair? She's fishing for compliments, guys, because you're not filling her daily quota of no less than 278 reasons that she is your standard of beauty. And she needs your loving words. If she needs all five, Good luck. We'll pray. We will pray for each and every one of you men. But she is yours. And you need to put in the work. Again, seasons change, so ask often. She's not fussy, gentlemen. She is a challenge with an opportunity for you to win. So win big and love your wife. So here's the shortcut to success, men. Ask more conversations and women honestly answer the question. So men, here's some questions you can ask. What have I said or done that has made you feel the most loved? And what have I said or done that has made you feel the least loved? No arguing. Especially if she hits a nerve, gentlemen. Don't argue. She's telling you the truth. Accept the answer and learn. Verse 26, men, we're still going. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Men, do you know the Word? Do you know your Bible? Can you tend to your wife with Scripture? When she has questions, can you answer them? When she's hurting, do you open your Bible and pray with her? Do you ever ask her, what is God teaching you? And share what Jesus is also sharing in your life as well. One time uh, during, I forget the, the birth of which kid it was, but my wife was in t intense pain. Was, oh, during the, the, the birth of Liam, our, our third, she was crying out in pain, and this is where I completely failed her. She, she's like, just pray for me, just pray for me. And so I quickly prayed, Lord, please help her with the pain. And uh, I mean, that was it, that's all I had. And she's like, no, keep going. So I quickly opened up the Psalms, and everything I hit was lament. It was horrible. I was no help to her that day. Every page, and I am alone, and everyone's coming to kill me. Oh, hold on, honey. 
no, don't push. Hold on, I got one for you. You know, and my tears are like blood. Wow, this isn't good. So men, know your Bibles. Come ready. She's going to need you at those crucial moments. I paid your stupid tax, so don't, don't do it again. Men, you only have so much time to cultivate, care for, and steward your wife before the days on earth are done. When you stand before Jesus and he asks you, did you take care of my daughter? Did you love her as I have loved you? Did you sacrificially lead her? Did you give all that you had for her? Or did you just take, take, take? It takes about seven to ten years for a married couple to go from a me mentality to a we mentality. Ten years with your spouse before you can stop being selfish. This, coincidentally, is when the 42% of marriages end in divorce. At or before 10 years. Just when a couple is about to make an amazing breakthrough in their marriage, they call it quits and start that clock over with a new spouse. 67% of which also end in divorce by year five. And in the first seven years of our marriage, I kept a running joke going, honey, six more years till we're happy. Five more years till the fun begins. Lasell, two more years and we can smile again. Your marriage will go a lot better when you stop focusing on your needs and by the grace of God become a sacrificial spouse. And when you are in an argument, ask, do I have a me mentality or a we mentality? Is this what Jesus wants for my marriage? Be honest. Are you argumentative, stubborn, always ready with a backhanded comment? Or are you quick to forgive, repentant, faithful, honest, and a servant in the bedroom as well as outside of it? I love that little slide I made there. A selfish and a selfish couple is a catastrophe. A selfish and a servant is abuse. But two servants equal an amazing marriage. You will never see two servants going into marriage counseling. I wanted to serve her, but she's always serving me. Can you help? No, it's my night to serve. No, it's not. It's my night. we got to bring in the church elders. You're serving me again. So do you guys have a me mentality or a we mentality in your marriage? Verse 28 through 30. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Have you ever seen a man walking down the street and just continually punching himself in the face? Just wham, wham, wham! No, because it's a bit of a ridiculous question. But that is exactly how it looks when a husband is not tending to the needs of his wife. And what I mean is this. Men should be putting the needs of their wives and children before their own. This means that you men may not have time for that 67 Chevy rebuild. The golf membership may have to be cancelled. Your gaming computer or PlayStation 5 isn't going to happen. Here's an example from my life. My, my wife will never tell me when she needs new clothes or a haircut. So I'll bring it up eventually and say, Lizzie, you should absolutely go, go get new clothes. Her answer for 11 years has always been the same. It's okay. I'm very happy with what I have. I don't need to do this right now. Maybe in a couple months. Oh, so you see, now it's on. Now I'm in providing mode, guys. And maybe she knows that maybe I'm being played, but that's not the point here today. 
So what I secretly start doing is gathering all the loose change I can find. I start selling things online that I no longer need. And after a while, I come up with quite a bit of money. And to this day, she has never challenged me when she has the cash in hand. And I send her on a shopping spree or to a salon day. And this is not in any way a keeping up with the Joneses thing. But when you guys, but when you see a wife and kids in tattered clothes driving a dangerous car or a wife cutting her own hair while the husband has the ultimate man cave, the latest smartphone, home theater, gym membership, you never think to yourself, that man loves his wife and loves his kids. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 31. Guys, move out of the basement. Ditch your Star Wars jammies. Get a job. Chase hard after Jesus. Have your own theological convictions. Pick your own church. Stand on your own two feet. And then and only then should you start looking for a wife. A lot of guys think that when they get married, they will become a man. No, you'll be a kid with man-sized problems, though. But here's some practical advice for the single men. This is what I wish I was told when I was younger. Pray for your wife now, but not like this. Lord, I want a woman with legs up to here. Who can cook, clean, pay the bills, already have a home, and will serve me in and out of the bedroom because I am worthy of that kind of woman. Because I'm such a great man, worthy of such things, because my humility is unnatural. No, gentlemen, if you pray like that, you're still a little boy wanting to move in with your new mommy. And you're a joke. But to you young men who are striving to become godly men, when you are tempted to sin, to do things or look at things you know you shouldn't, stop and pray for her. Write her a letter, and I recommend pen and paper. Take the time to do it right. Write her a letter choosing, telling her that you are choosing to honor her before you've even met her. That you are choosing to guard your mind, your eyes, and your hands. And that you are instead pursuing Jesus. You're working hard so that one day you can provide for her. Then on your honeymoon, give her those letters. Secondly, gentlemen, start saving for the ring, the wedding, and the honeymoon. A down payment for a home and a safe vehicle. If the guy who shows up for one of my daughters has that all checked off, his odds of my approval have greatly increased. Gentlemen, make the most of your singleness and learn from the quality men in your life. Ask them questions, take notes, seek counsel on how to become a godly husband and father. Grow in your relationship with Jesus. Volunteer in your church and your community babysit and learn about kids. The first six months with a kid is exhausting and you don't know what you're doing. Get some experience now. Learn how to cook and change the oil in your car. Do you guys have any idea how to make a budget and live below your means? If not, you have some questions and you need to get some answers. Don't waste your singleness. It gives you time to master the skills you may not have time for later. And one of those skills is the biggest one. Please, guys, and ladies as well, work on conflict resolution. What do you guys do when you don't agree? Verses 31 and 33. And the two shall become one flesh. 
So what happens when you're not? Men have three options because the biblical model of the home is singular headship, singular headship, dual leadership. So number one, men, wait on your wife. Prayerfully wait. Be considerate and patient as Jesus is patient with you and hope she comes around. When my wife and I first got married, I'm, I'm five years older than her, and I have kids right away. My theory was, as soon as we have our own home, like an actual house, let's start having kids. My wife was not nearly on board with that, because she was in her early 20s and wanted to maintain that gorgeous figure. I don't blame her. But I was like, let's please have kids right away. And she said, no, I'm not ready yet. So that was my response to this, prayerfully wait. So I waited, we had discussions, I prayed, I asked for God to change her heart on this, and that we would be one. It wasn't an angry girl thing, she's not following me, how dare she? But it was... We're just in a disagreement. There is literally no rush, but God, we, we want to be together on this. So please, let's change your heart on this. But I think for us in our marriage, the way our life course is going, I think this is the best course. And I did change your heart. And as soon as we had a house, it was very early in our marriage, within like one month, boom, pregnant. Aha. So, gentlemen, wait on your wife. Secondly, seek higher authority, such as a biblical counselor or church elder. This is when you're deadlocked and you need help. Sometimes you're on complete opposite sides and you're, or you're unsure of the wisest course of action. And this also happened to my wife and I when uh, she was running our printing business, uh, I was running our printing business, and um, she was running our home. And every now and then we would get just exhausted with our uh, jobs. And she just hated taking care of the house and the kids, and I was getting sick of working at the shop all day. And so once a month we would switch for a week. And eventually we'd switch for two weeks. And then eventually we'd switch for three weeks. And we kept struggling with the fact that we felt like we should switch roles. But we were not allowed to do it because the Bible says no. And we hated our life. And we didn't know what to do and we needed godly wisdom. So I came to the elders and said, what do we do? We are not happy with this situation. One of the elders took me aside and it was amazing. Because he just pretty much grabbed me. Not literally, but he, he biblically grabbed me. And he said, you're an idiot. And he said, is being a stay-at-home parent hard? And I was like, yeah, it's very hard. Do you probably work longer hours as a stay-at-home parent? I said, yeah. I was like, you know, 2 a.m., one of us has to get up to throwing up child. Who's it going to be? The stay-at-home parent. And he said, are you going to work hard if you're the stay-at-home parent? I said, yes. He's like, are you going to play PlayStation all day? I said, no, i got work to do. He goes, then what's your problem? The Bible says if a man doesn't provide for the needs of his family, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Being a stay-at-home parent is providing for the needs of your family. So put on your big boy pants and get to work. I was like, whoa, that was awesome. So we did. We made the switch, and for a time, it worked extremely well for us. So if you guys are deadlocked and you're just not sure of the wisest course of action, seek higher authority. It's here. It's available. Call the church. Finally, number three, gentlemen, make the call. This happens when a decision has to be made, and it's time-sensitive. Like perhaps buying a car, but most often it might be something like a promotion. Boss asks you, do you want the job? you got to move to Philly? What are you going to do? Tell me. Ah! you got to make a decision. The wife should then accept the decision, follow her husband's leadership, and fully support him. Good or bad, you two are one. And it's time to move on as one. Come back together so that you don't give Satan a foothold in your marriage. And again, we did this and I lost $13,000. Here's the story. I went to go buy a piece of equipment for our shop, and I did all the research. I, did, I thought I was all good. This is the one I'm going to buy. 
honey, what do you think? This is the one I think we should get. She's like, no, it all looks good. I trust you. Go for it. And it was a brick. We lost everything. We had to start over from scratch, and I had this weight on my shoulders for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I started pulling away from my wife, and she couldn't figure out why. And finally, she was just, what is going on with you? This is not you. You are not you. What's going on? I said, I am... I'm terrified about what I just did. I am so sorry. And the burden that I have just ruined us financially, I'm, I'm very sorry. And this, her, her godliness blew me away in a, in a way I never thought it was possible. She goes, Mike, money will never be the reason we get divorced. I don't care about the money. It, we made this decision together. You made the decision, but I fully supported it. I fully support you. We're moving on together as one. We are one. A humbling moment. What an amazing, amazing life. What a gift that she is. And I've told her many times, thank you for that. Children, here we go to you now. Where are the kids today? Hands up. Are you charismatic? Wave them. All right, we got a charismatic kids. All right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. Kids, let's make this simple for you today. Obey. It is very simple. Just listen to your parents or whoever it is that takes care of you. If it's not your parents, just insert their title into this verse. Grandparents, step-parents, adoptive parents. When they tell you to do something, just do it. I am begging you. Do you like happy parents? Some of you are nodding. Some people, yeah. Yeah, my kid likes happy parents. Or what about when they're always grumpy? Do you like when they're always grumpy? No. So when they ask you, did you make your bed? Well, I half made it. Ah! Make your bed! Did you guys eat your broccoli? I got distracted. No! Oh, eat your broccoli! Can you give your mom 10 minutes alone in the bathroom so she can pour some water in her face, get ready for the next round of parenting? Yes. Okay, good. See, we're making progress. Just help your parents along. They want to do well, but you got to be on their team, kids. Children, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, this is a bit trickier, kids. What does it mean to honor your parents? I always thought it meant to show them respect that they are due outwardly. But it also means that how you think about them, how you pray for them, and how you submit to them. They were the ones who wiped your butt and changed your diapers. They were up with you at 2 a.m. when you were throwing up and sick as a dog. You guys remember those times? <laughs> they do. What about the time when it was the day before a big assignment, you did no work, and now it's 11 p.m. and you asked them for help? Yeah, they helped you. What about the times when your friends ditched you, gossiped about you? Who was there for you? They were. Despite all their flaws, and the times they let you down, they love you more than they love themselves. Today, if you are a parent or caregiver, I want you to raise your hand. And this includes the seniors. Parents, seniors, raise your hands. If you're a parent here today, raise your hands. Kids, look around. Hold your hands up. Keep your hands up. Kids, look around at all these hands. If you same parents and caregivers would gladly give up your life for your child, stand up. You can stay, Jeff. Stay standing. Kids, this is why you honor your parents. 
They would gladly take every tear you've shed, every scraped knee, every broken heart you've ever felt. If they could, they would shield you from every bad relationship to come. You guys can sit down. Thank you. Kids, your parents love you with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. Their deepest desire is to love you as Jesus loves you and to show you that kind of love. They go without sleep for you. They work extra hours at their dirty, disgusting jobs for you. They go without food for you, and they will never stop loving you. Kids, you need to honor your parents. All right, dads, it's time to pick on you one last time today, so here we go. 6-4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Men, whether you know it or not, your kids want to please you. They desperately crave the approval of their father. Boys want to grow up to be just like their dad, and girls want to marry a man like their dad. My daily prayer is that Jesus doesn't call me home until I've poured everything into my kids that I possibly can. There's so many mistakes I've made that I want to save them from. And there's so much biblical wisdom that has changed my life that I want to tell them about. I want to guard my daughter's heart so they don't go chasing after boys and end up in bad relationships. I want to see them become strong, independent women who know who they are in Christ long before they ever seek the affection of a man. I want to walk my little girls down the aisle and hand them off to a godly man who will be a good steward of this incredible gift, my daughter. God's daughter. I want to see my son become God's man, a man running after Jesus, a man who will tell his sons and daughters about Jesus, a man of integrity and a man of his word, a man who will definitely be godlier than the men who have come before him. But it's up to me as their father to guide them. And the worst thing I can do is be harsh with them. If I run my home with a, because I say so, iron-fisted, don't mess with me or this is going to go bad for you, type of home, or a, if you don't get straight A's, I'm embarrassed by you, household, then I'll never win the hearts of my kids. When your kids know that you, that your love and affection is contingent on outside factors, you are never going to win the hearts of your kids. They may be obedient, but you will never have their heart. If I do guard my daughter's heart well, I won't have to load the shotgun when she brings home that first boy. She will know her worth, both in God's eyes and mine. If I'm trying to live vicariously through my son's achievements, he'll always be trying to win my love. Am I good enough now, Dad? I need to show him what true manhood is like. I need to show him unconditional love that can only come from God the Father through Jesus. Jesus was both tough and tender. He was tough with the Pharisees and tender with widows and children. He had courage to always tell the truth though it took him to his death. And he was tender enough to weep loudly when he was deeply grieved. So what does a real man look like? He looks like Jesus. The rest of us have work to do. Ephesians 6, 4b says, Bring them up in the, dis in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So the bottom line is this, guys. You are the go-to pastor for your family. When your kids and wife have questions about the Bible, they should come to you. Are you men the spiritual leaders of your home, or have you passed it off to your wife in the church? Are you doing your own Bible study and growing closer to Jesus of your own volition? So guys, buy your kids age-appropriate Bibles and spend time reading to them. In the bulletin this week, I've made a list of the best books on biblical roles and responsibilities and relationships and kids' Bibles. 
to let your kids see you engaged in Bible study and prayer. It's your job to teach your kids about Jesus. When you teach, don't make it boring like a lecture and an overhead projector. And also, don't be weird. Like if you're driving, you're like, kids, there's a cow, what's the verse? Like, make it fun. Make it interesting. Use God voice. On our last road trip, I asked my kids, as I was getting ready for the sermon, they're all in the back, and I say, kids, what makes a bad marriage? And I let them just let them go around on that for like five or ten minutes. And I was listening to a sermon, and I come back, I take off uh, an earbud, I say, guys, what, was, what do you guys think? What was your answer? My kids are seven, ten, and six. Uh, so you guys know, and they're the best answer. I love this. Write this down. What makes a bad marriage? Doing illegal stuff like touching her butt. Okay, so now we need to clarify some things, kids, but they all started talking about what the Bible says, and it was great. It, I didn't make it weird and force things on them. They just talked about it. And teach them sound doctrine. God's word is black and white on most issues, and today's world is nothing but gray. Almost everything is permissible. Everyone deserves a trophy. Truth is no longer truth because there are alternative facts. And most importantly, did God really say? But you men, you fathers, never stop pointing your kids to the truth of the Bible and to a robust relationship with God. I'd like to invite the band up. Here's my prayer for the church today that wives would respect their husbands, that husbands would man up, take responsibility, and lead their wives, that fathers would not provoke their kids, but always teach their kids about Jesus and emulate him, because it's all about Jesus. Jesus submitted to the Father in everything. Jesus sacrificially led his flock and emptied himself to the point of death for the well-being of his church. Jesus taught about the fullness and completion of the Bible, he made learning about God the Father fun, and he did it in a relatable, practical way. Kids, Jesus obeyed God the Father. Jesus obeyed and honored his parents, and he chose to do so because that is what God the Father wanted him to do. Jesus wants all of you to have open conversations with your parents and for you to grow in the will of the Father as he did. Wives, husbands, and kids, we all need to humble ourselves to Paul's teaching today and refocus our lives back to Jesus. Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins. In doing so, he gave us new hearts to love as he loves and to be completely transformed from the inside out. I'm feeling as though the Holy Spirit is working on some deeply rooted issues with many of us here, and some of us are holding on to what's been familiar in our lives. This is the way I've always been. I am just like my parents were good or bad. And yet today, when I talk about Paul, the Bible, God the Father, Jesus, and now the Holy Spirit. Some of you are thinking, I'm not sure about any of this. I'm not sure if Jesus wants this for me. I'm not sure if I'm forgiven or made new. I'm not sure if I'm accepted at, at PCC or even by that person sitting next to me. I'm not sure that if I died today, I would go to heaven. Here's the good news. The Bible says that you can be sure. It says, for as many have the Son, that's Jesus, have eternal life. And you can know that you have this life because you can make the decision to have Jesus in your life. So I want to pray with you right now for those who say, I'm not sure, but today I do want to be sure. So everyone here today, please bow your heads.
How many here today say, I want to be sure? I want Jesus in my life. Today, please pray for me. If that's you today, raise your hand. Give me a wave and let me know I'm praying for you. Thank you. Thank you. This morning is between you and Jesus. You guys can put your hands down. In your heart, repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Savior of the world. That you died on the cross and rose again. Paying for my sins and providing eternal life for me. I want you in my life. I confess you as my Savior and Lord of my life. Thank you for forgiving me and accepting me your forever family. In Jesus' name, I'll follow you with all of my heart. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, you were just born again, and we want to welcome you into God's forever family. As I close today, I want to pray for you families here and online. Heavenly Father, the families here are a mess. This is not a church filled with perfect people, and you know how far we've truly fallen from your original design. We confess we are feminists, disrespectful women, chauvinists, weak, cowardly men, selfish spouses, and rebellious children. We long to be in a right relationship with you through your sacrifice on the cross. We long to be in a right relationship with each other at the church, and most especially to have families that honor you. Lord, I pray for the conversations that will arise from Paul's words. Husbands, wives, and kids will be having some very open and honest conversations. Old wounds will be reopened, and by your grace, healing will take place. You love to see rocky marriages restored, parents and kids getting to the heart of their miscommunication or closed-mindedness. Father, please bless everyone here with a broken, repentant heart and a desire to bring these families back together like never before. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen.